You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find leaders and legends at AllIndianaPodcastNetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle or me at leadersandlegends.net. I thought I'd have to choose between an IT degree and certifications until I found WGU. There I earned both through one program. WGU prepared me to earn certs from CompTIA and others at no extra cost. WGU IT bachelor's and master's degrees have no set class times. Rather, students progress at their pace, completing as many courses as they can each six-month term. I graduated faster, and you could too. Learn more at WGU.edu. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is Todd Houston. Speaker of the Indiana House of Representatives and flat out one of the nicest people I have ever met in politics. I've known him about 16 years since I started at State Party as comms director and Speaker Houston was State Party treasurer. We are so incredibly lucky to have him as speaker in this state. And I hope that is obsequious enough for you, Jim Shella, as you take over the questions. <laughs> we are joined by uh, political reporter emeritus of Wish TV, Jim Shella, my friend. Go ahead. Todd, thank you for coming on. Well, thanks for the very nice introduction, Robert. I feel the same way about you. So it's a pleasure being your friend. Jim, I don't know what to say about you. We'll (laughs) we'll reserve uh, reserve that thought until after the questions. Nice to see you again. (laughs) Good seeing you. Great seeing you. And and Robert, thanks for having me. Uh, Actually, uh, Todd and I used to engage on a regular basis back when uh, he worked for the superintendent of public education. Uh, as I recall, we'll probably talk about that a little bit, but I want to start out um, talking about your family background. I mean, you, you, uh, you have an uncle with a, with an interesting history. Yeah. Um, tell me about Tom. Yeah. Uh, uncle Tom is, is a very unique person and a person that, uh, uh, I've learned a lot from through the years. You know, I, I grew up in the family that was politically involved. Um, by the time, uh, you know, I can, I could remember, uh, you know, uncle Tom had, had 
done his, his time in, in government. And uh, for those that didn't know, Uncle Tom was uh, a conservative leader in the 1960s, uh, came into the Nixon administration in, in 1968 when President Nixon was elected, um, served there until, um, I believe, 71 um, and, and then left and uh, came back here to Barton Thornburg. But, you know, I learned a ton about life and politics from from Uncle Tom and uh, uh, Uncle Tom's a very conservative man um, I always say uh, and, and, and quick to uh, t- quick to to write and opine about when he thinks his nephew's gone uh, askew <laughs> so <laughs> I get honest feedback uh, and uh, but it, it was great and and he's something know, of a historian too he's a massive historian I mean he's he he's probably as well versed on Indiana politics as anybody he has a has long had one of the best private collections of political memorabilia in the country um, and has an incredible network of people and uh, that he he was he, he's close with and uh, that I've had an opportunity to meet through and, and, and because of him um, but you know the great thing about Uncle Tom is, one thing I learned, you know, before I really even knew uh, people and who people were, you know, I remember, I, Jim, it goes back to, you know, my first exposure to Ann Delaney was through you know, your show and, you know, Week in Review. And, and I remember my father telling me one day, you know, one of Uncle Tom's best friends is Ed Delaney. And uh, they lived across the street. They from lived each other. right across the street from each other. How, however far right Uncle Tom is, Ed is as far left. But, you know, you can have relationships with people you disagree with. And I think that was a, like a very important thing for, for me as a young person to learn and that, you know, you can disagree, but, but you can still be friends. You can still be friendly and you can develop, you know, positive relationships with people. So. Jim, would you do me a favor? Would you ask Speaker Houston about the text you received on Thanksgiving night from from the host of the Leaders and Legends podcast? <laughs> Which was, I believe you were reading a, a book about the Houston plan, which was something Uncle about Uncle Tom uh, Uncle Tom had written. It was funny. I had a, a college professor one day give me a book, and it was called uh, in regard uh, regarding the Houston plan. So it'll occasionally like pop up from time to time. I, I hope that that comes shows up in the Google alerts a lot more than anything deals with me. That's something he wrote for Nixon. He he did. Yeah. He wrote the Houston plan was. I mean, in some ways, like you know, it depends on your viewpoint of the world. Uh, uh, but uh, in some ways, it marries a lot was a Patriot Act of of, of two thousand and one and two. Uh, but yeah, he did that, and uh, and he's just a you know extraordinarily brilliant man. Served on the board for the American Conservative Union for a long time. Um, I, you know, just it's funny they interact with people who know Uncle Tom, and uh, and and have stories to tell. Well, knowing that, uh, the fact that you've ended up working in politics wouldn't, shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. But you kind of got here uh, through an education path. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I had a couple of things that were hugely important to me. One, I had a, a family that was interested in it. My father was an attorney in, in town and, and, and dealt in Republican politics. Uh, another one of my uncle's business partners was Al Hubbard, who, who uh, and Al's been a hugely in, influential person in my life. So, you know, I, I kind of, you know, you were the expectation. I, it's funny, I grew up in a family of very smart people. I'm the dumbest one in my family. And, and I had a learning um 
uh, disability when I was a kid. So like I had to work at it. So when you went to the dinner table, you were expected to like contribute and, and talk about things. And, and so, you know, watching the news became important. And, and so I became involved, um, kind of, you know, got out of high, got out of college and, and education really matters to me. It mattered to me personally. I saw how it changed my life, uh, and how people in the system changed my life. Um, and then, um, we, for me, you know, I love my local community. I graduated from Hale Southeastern Schools. My wife graduated from Hale Southeastern Schools. And um, uh, and so there was an opportunity. Some people asked me to run for school board. I was interested in it. I ran when I was 30. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I won't tell you I was a great board member. I will tell you that I worked, I thought, pretty hard at it. But I had a lot to learn. It's a great place to get experience. And 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 you need high. I, I always say when I leave here, I would like to go back to the local school board. I think I'd be a better member. I think that job is critically important. Uh, from that, um, Governor Daniels appointed me to the State Board of Education after he won in 04, um, which he's been an incredibly important person in my life too. And um, and then um, you know in 0, that same year in 05, he he appointed me treasurer of the State Republican Party where Robert and I met, and then. Um, you know, I became active in kind of state education politics at that point. And then you went to work for Tony Bennett. Went to work for Tony. So I, uh, when Tony was elected, uh, he and, and Governor Daniels at the time asked me to do that. Told me I'd do it for one year, did it for two. Uh, proud of what we accomplished. I think, you know, we have the largest, you know, school choice program in the country right now. Uh, that's because of the leadership that, was, that began back then. Uh, you look at the education results, they, they were – uh, we had the highest NAEP scores in the country the preceding years after our reform. So um, proud, of, proud of the work that was done and proud of the friendships I made. Well, that position, state school superintendent, uh, has been taken off the ballot. It's now a, an appointment by the governor. Um, but during that period when you were there, I, I think in particular, it was very political. Um. I think the job inherently, Jim, I mean, it's always interesting to me because like, you know, we, you know, there's some politics in that. There's politics in every form of education. You know, if you're a local school board, you're elected. You know, there are states that elect a superintendent, you know, uh, of, of individual school districts. It was, I, I think it was why it felt more political then was because for the first time you had somebody pers- pushing a different agenda that wasn't just about, putting more money in the system and those types of things, but saying we're going to value parental and school choice. We, we, we're going to hold people accountable. And, and I, I think, you know, and, and by the way, I think, you know, one of my dearest friends in the world is Tony. And I would tell you, I, I was not a great um, counselor on that because we wanted to take the world and, and, and probably moved a little too quickly uh, uh, and, and should have taken a little more time. But, but I think, you know, we, we felt a sense of urgency. Governor Daniels was awesome. He was 110% supportive of that. Speaker Bosma, um, Senator Long. And, um, you know, there's a unique time. And, and I look back and I go, I learned a lot professionally about it. I'm awful proud of the fact that, I mean, I think it's set Indiana up well for the, the coming years, preceding it and where we are, I mean, after it and where we are today. So what made you run for state representative? Um, 
That's a great question. I always tell like, and people always come to you in these positions like, you know, I had a bunch of people tell me I should run. Uh, and that wasn't the case because uh, uh, it never is the case. Most of the time when somebody tells me all the people that wanted you to run, I'm like, when they'll call me up and say, you know, I've had a lot of people talk to me. I'm like, so you talk to your wife and your mother or your husband and your, your mom or dad. And, and like, the mirror talks to you sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. But uh, yeah, exactly. No, uh, I mean... Through redistricting, they literally drew a seat for Fishers, and and it wasn't certainly because of me, and and it was kind of interesting to me, and uh, and so I began thinking about it, and I at that you know somebody that's always been important is, is at that time Governor Daniels, and I, I asked Governor Daniels what he thought about, it, and he, he said I can't believe you even consider it. <laughs> with a maybe a couple words in between, and uh, and uh, and he said, uh, but then I said, you know. It, I, I think I'm going to do it, but if I do it, the only way I'll do it is if you endorse me. And and he was more popular than Santa Claus oh, yeah. in my district in May of 2020. I mean, May of 2012. So, like, all I had to do was and, not call it. Did he, did he live he did. in that district? No, yeah. no, no. At that point? No. no. So, all he had to do was just knock on, like, all he had to do was just, uh, yeah, all I had to do was knock on somebody's door and say, hi, I'm Todd Houston, and give my spiel, and then say, I'm endorsed by Governor Daniels, and that was good enough. And and so he wrote a he he did that he was great and and you know and I would imagine he knows your uncle too he knows my uncle he knows my father obviously he knows Hubbard I mean yeah he knew me um, we we got to become uh, you know close when in the oh five oh eight stuff um, and so uh, we had a great working relationship and and so he was great about it and uh, you know kind of won the primary and and then. Uh, you know, ended up here. Took out an incumbent. No open seat. Was it? I, I ran against uh, a, a person that was a locally elected official, but it was a it was an open seat. Okay, okay. Um, my research was faulty there. Yeah. Um, somewhere you don't somewhere have Jim said, Hester around anymore to do your research. <laughs> well, there's so Ballotpedia, I think, said that Scott Resky held that seat, but uh, he held the probably the number thirty-seven. But right. you know, during redistricting, sometimes number numbers get reshuffled. So he got you know uh, that that seat was with I think he ran against Bob Cherry. So. You got taken out one way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> you said that, Jim. I did. Um, well, so you became, I think, uh, speaker in in uh, a relatively short amount of time for somebody who 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 serves in the House of Representatives. Correct. Well, you, you probably have more it? history than I do. Obviously, you know, in a state where you don't have term limits, you know, uh, uh, it, it occasionally will take longer. Um, and and I just think a, a, a series of a, uh, events took place that allowed me to, to get to here. I don't think you could ever break Richard Guthrie's record. Didn't he become speaker in his freshman year? Yeah. I only know that because his daughter Jennifer and I graduated from Howe together. Oh, is that right? I yeah, he used to talk about another great guy. Yeah. Rest in peace, Dick Guthrie. Huh. But I thought he was a freshman and got elected yeah. speaker in 66 when that Republic, big Republican when year. wave came. Did you ever have an ambition to be speaker? You're like, let me no. do this for a few years and then move on to the next thing. No, you know, I no, and people don't always want to believe this, but like my core fundamental belief in life is to be where your feet are, right? So just be really good at what you do. So like when I walked in, I, I wanted to, I, I wanted to know the budget. Like that was, I, I figured if you know the budget, 
you can, you know, that, that, that just gives you uh, the best viewpoint of, of, of everything taking place in the legislature. So I asked Speaker Boss at that time, I said, I want to be on Ways and Means. And uh, I, I'll tell you, a couple of years ago, probably the nicest thing anybody said about me in the legislature was we were in a meeting and, and one of our, we have a great fiscal team. And one of the members of the fiscal team said, um, you know, when, when Todd got here, it was like we got a third fiscal analyst. I mean, I would go every day up to the Ways and Means office and there were four chairs outside the cubicles of the two main, David Dukes and Ben Tooley. And I put myself on those four chairs and I just go to work. I just learn. And, and, and that was the first year Tim Brown was the chairman of Ways and Means, and, and Doc was amazing to me. And, and you know, I just kind of got after it. And so, you know, I, and I mean, I started carrying bills that, like, no one would want to know carry the Department of Revenue bill <laughs> or, you know, these taxation bills. And by the way, I'm not an accountant, but it was hard stuff. But I'd also realized, like, you know, it's economic development, it has real real purpose, real meaning. And I just, you know— and one of the things I didn't want to do was get pigeonholed like on a specific issue. It would have been easy to get pigeonholed on education or something like that. And I just always was trying to figure out, you know, what what were those things that that would, uh, which I felt like had a major impact in Indiana, and how could I work on those things? And so, you know, I kind of cut my teeth through all the ways and means stuff. Unfortunately, in 2018, um, uh, Doc had a, a motorcycle accident. Um, Chair, uh, Speaker Bosman asked me to chair, co-chair Ways and Means with Doc in 2019, and and uh, that was a tremendous experience, one in which I learned a lot. And um, and then obviously Speaker Bosman announced in 2019 that, that he wasn't going to run for re-elect in our caucus, uh, uh, voted me in, and and that was you know that transition was great. Speaker Bosman could not have been better about it, and uh, and and you know has been a great sounding board for me. But well, that was unusual in itself. Yeah. Essentially, you were speaker and waiting for yeah. a year. Yeah, and you know that happens in other states, particularly term limited states. And it was, you know, the way Speaker Bosley handled it was not awkward at all. I mean, he was great about. It. I mean, you obviously have this weird thing where obviously you know people would come to me because they knew I'd be here for or anticipated me being here for future sessions, and and he announced he wasn't going to do it. And it could have been awkward. It wasn't. I mean, you know, we kind of you know he would make sure if there was anything long term that. That that I and we we were engaged really closely together. It actually worked out really really well, um, and, and and I thought it was very instructive on how you know how you should really have a transition. We were fortunate we didn't have a. Uh, I mean, I was very fortunate. I, I look back now, I don't think I knew how fortunate I was. You know, I was voted in unanimously, so we didn't go through you know any turmoil or anything like that. And um, so that transition was one that was so much easier for me and it became very, very important because, you know, I literally got sworn in and then, you know, as a, as a speaker and then COVID marches right behind it. And it would have been easy to splinter pretty quickly. Uh, but what we have a great caucus that has always been supportive. Well, I did the PR for that announcement for Brian Bosman's announcement. And I could tell you the fact that you were his successor gave him peace of mind that I don't know that he would have had otherwise in terms of just stepping away, you know, like he did. But as you guys both know, I mean, Brian had a, like the longest term and, you know, history of Indiana speaker did so much for our state. Um, and, you know, I, I always conscientious, I can only be who I am, right? I can't be anybody but me. Uh, and so I never really said I've got big shoes to fill because I can't fill them. 
but but he uh but I am so appreciative of what he what he did for our state, what he did for me, you know, uh Brian and Cheryl have been great to Denise and I, and I'll always be grateful for that. You're listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast with Indiana Speaker of the House, Todd Houston, and our frequent co-host, Jim Shella. Jim, do you want to talk about any time that you interviewed Speaker Houston? And Well, I, you know, I haven't been covering the General Assembly since he became Speaker. My, my Congratulations. <laughs> I can tell you, I think I, you know, I retired at the end of 2016, which was a pretty good time to get out of the game. Um, I, I do not regret that, um, although it's fun to have a finger in things like I'm doing today. Um, but... I mean, you you took over a supermajority, and 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 Robert and I interviewed Speaker Bosma and talked to him about trying to control a supermajority. It wasn't his favorite thing. He, uh, I th- I think he said that the 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 optimal caucus size might be fifty eight, uh, so that it's easier to hold people in line. Now he said that as ex speaker. Yeah. So as yeah. current speaker, you choose whatever number you 70. want. <laughs> Seventy. Seventy. I'm no dummy. Seventy. <laughs> I'm getting the squint eye from wonderful Aaron. A bike, you know. Don't put him in that position. <laughs> well, how do you manage a supermajority? Well, a couple of things I think that are a little bit advantageous for me is I never knew. I've known nothing but a supermajority. So you know, we're we're Brian. You know, Speaker Bosman went through was in the minority, majority, 50-50. I mean, he literally saw it all. You know, the first year Indiana went to the supermajority in the House was the year I was elected. So so I think for some ways, like, it's just what I know. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, you have to really work at communication. I mean, you know, it, it's a, it's a daily thing. I, I, one thing I always want my, uh, you know, I want people to know about me is like, you know, I'm going to be accessible. I, I, I care. I want I want our team to be successful. This isn't about me. This is about our team. Um, you know, they win, I lose is always what I've always kind of looked at it. And and I you know, and I just have really tried to focus on that. Like, you know, you can't only control what you control, right? And so like, you know, the people of Indiana are gonna send me, you know, or send, you know, a hundred people here. Lord willing I'm one if I I run. And and so I've got to adjust to that. Now I always try and be humble, too, in the sense of, like, I tell people, like, you know, imagine being in charge of HR for 99 people you didn't hire, not one of whom you can fire. So, like, you have to have expectations. <laughs> like, you have to have some expectations. Like, you know, like, I don't just, like, arbitrarily, this is not a monarchy. And uh, uh, so you have to really work at relationships. And, I, 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 you know, that's something I've always tried to work at. I always try to be sincere about people. And then, you know, I, I want... You know, probably the hardest part post-COVID, to be honest with you, or, or since COVID, is, is it broke a lot of relationships, right? Yeah. And, and people, the body works best if people have relationships with each other. Um, I have a great working relationship with Senator Bray, with Governor Holcomb, uh, people I love to work with. Um, you know, and, 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 and Lear Giaquin is an amazing person. I, I have nothing but the highest regards for. Um, and, and so if you have those types of relationships, I think you can kind of overcome. They're always going to be, like I tell people all the time, like on most of you guys know because you follow it, on most issues, it's it's bipartisan. There's, you know, there's going to be six to eight to ten maybe every year where we're going to slug it out. And they're meaning substance. 
substantial, meaningful, substantive things there should be robust debate about, that there should be disagreement. But how do you handle that disagreement, how you move past it, really, really matters to the institution. I will say Brian was very, uh, very, very uh, uh, wise in, in, in telling me, like, you know, Todd, your number one goal and your number one responsibility is to protect the institution. And I've had days where I think I've done a really good job of that. And I think I've had days where I, I haven't done as good. And I just try and learn from those. But you've had challenges. Last year, oh, you, sure. had, you had a couple of members quit the caucus. Correct. Uh, I'm not sure I'd say quit. Uh, I would say asked not to come. Um and, and look, I mean, I think, you know, we have a team and, and we try to make clear that if, if you want to be part of the team, you need to meet certain expectations. You ultimately choose whether you want to be part of the team or not by meeting those expectations. And so it, it presented, I like the people, uh, disagreements, but look, our, my objective is, is to keep our team intact and keep our team moving in the same direction. If that's not your objective, then, then, then you probably don't need to be part of the team. And I will move forward with that. I mean, I, I think it, it's important that, you know, there needs to be a wider range of, of, of opinions. We have a lot of different opinions in our caucus on a lot of different issues. But at the end of the day, people, you know, people need to realize, you know, I believe this is, you know, you're part of a team. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today is Indiana Speaker of the House, Todd Houston. Co-host is our friend and frequent co-host, and very grateful for your time, Jim. I don't know if I say that enough, but I love the fact that you you join us on the. It just makes it so much more fun. You're uh, welcome. Speaker, is there a particular Hoosier leader and or legend you admire most? I, I, I'm going to get myself in trouble on this because because uh, uh, he's alive and I've got a lot of people that I could list on this. Um, and I'll say, like, you know, the, the most important Hoosier legend in my book is Mike Houston, who's my father, kind of set the path for me and and Joni Houston is amazing um and obviously Uncle Tom Al I think the person like from a from a Brian uh but I I think the person that you know at my core that I look at is is Mitch you know uh and and I, I could go back in history we've had a ton that mattered but you know, when my formative, like where where my ideas come from, who I who I would say I you know from a public policy standpoint, from a political standpoint, from you know, I, I've said this that I think you know he's one of the few leaders. That, like in politics, you get rewarded oftentimes for not doing a lot. Some very popular popular politicians have, have, have you know, they're if you look at, it, they really didn't do a whole lot. But I, I appreciate that a lot of people just want stability and they don't want don't rock the boat. Di- disruption. Mm-hmm. It is a very rare thing when somebody is disruptive, as as Mitch Jr. was, but as popular as Mitch. And and I will never reach. I'm clearly making no no mm-hmm. progress towards ever being that popular. 
But I, I, I just admire that because I think, you know, it's so easy. You can get rewarded in these positions for standing still. But like in today's world, you just can't. Like, so, and you and I were I, we were both at state party yeah. one way or the yeah. other in 2006, where the Republicans got a pretty significant bloody nose on more than one level. Yeah, I remember Murray going, "Do I have to talk to Shella? All he's going to do is ask questions about how much we're going to get beat by." Yeah, and that wasn't a particularly good no. year for us. But, but to the governor's credit, Governor Daniels' credit, he didn't stop. No, he no. said that's the risk we take. That's the risk we take. We and and we. And, and we can, you know, I, I tell people this all the time. I was with a group of speakers recently, and they were from California, I mean, excuse me, from Utah, Texas, Florida, Tennessee, and Arizona. And I said, I love y'all. You're great people. But I, we don't have mountains. We don't have warm winters. I wake up every day. We have to compete. And we just have to be better than anybody else. And that means we're going to be able that means like as a state, we have to be uncomfortable. But we have to be better. Like we have, we're the fastest growing state in the Midwest. We're attracting, we have in ground, you know, inbound migration. We, but we, it's got to be better. We got to grow. We got to grow fast. We got to make ourselves more attractive to other people. We have to drive economic development. We, we can't do it by saying we're going to hang a shingle out and say it's seventy five degrees during the winter, <laughs> you know, or or that you can go skiing in 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 the winter. Um, no offense, to my friendship. Perfect and perfect north, uh, but uh, uh, center, perfect. But, uh, but you know, so we have to compete. If, if I could, yeah. I, I, I was once in a gathering of uh, visiting urban planners from China who were in the 25th floor in the city county building <clears throat> getting a, a presentation. And the person giving the presentation told them, look out the window, look to the horizon and tell me what you see. And nobody had an answer. And so he asked it again. He said, look to the horizon. Tell me what you see. And nobody had an answer. He said, that's right. Nothing. Indianapolis is the largest city in the world without a natural border. There's no river, no lake, no ocean, no mountains, as you said. Yeah. We, we, we just – but the opportunity is so awesome. Like, and, and I look across the entire state. Like, I'm thrilled about what's taking place in southeast Indiana, the growth in southeast Indiana. I'm super excited about east central Indiana. I think between what's happening in Columbus, what's going to happen in Indianapolis, you're going to see real substantive growth. You're seeing already growth in, in really important ways in northeast Indiana around Fort Wayne. You know, they set a goal. They said they want to raise population growth. They're actually doing it, right? You, you know, Lebanon, right? what's happening in Lebanon? Well, what we're doing and what, what we're doing in Lebanon, what we're doing, and the, the, like, I really believe you won't, in, in less than two decades, you won't even know when you left Indianapolis when you got to Lafayette. And it's, it's not going to be traditional, you know, Indiana in, industries, right? It's going to be new and it's going to be exciting things. And, and I just, I mean, I can walk across the state and go, I really feel now we've got a lot of opportunities and a lot of challenges that we got to get better at. And, and that's why we can't stand still, but, but like, we have a great thing to sell. We have we've had terrific leadership, good, strong, conservative Republican leadership. I mean, you know, started with Mitch, then with with Vice President Pence, now with Governor Holcomb. You know, with, with legislative leaders, we're in a great financial position. We can make investments in things that matter, and we will. Um, but the, but again, we can never be satisfied because like we're not the place that can just stand on its laurels. We're not the place and go. Well, we're going to stop for five years because I think we can point to states that have stopped, and 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 they're feeling the pain and of that. As both chairman of Ways and Means in the Indiana House or co-chairman, I should say, and speaker, you get to say yes a lot, and you get to say no a lot. Which one do you enjoy more? Well, every 
everybody everyone for these offices likes to say yes but my favorite story is i'm talking to my <laughs> i'm talking to my mother when i'm chairing ways and means my parents don't understand why i'm doing this so I, I, they love me and, and and i love them beyond words did you say blame the dinner table yeah it blame the dinner table but they, they don't understand it i love them uh, and and but my mom like you know I, we have had this conversation with my mom and and like she believes what 99 percent of politics but, you know, people in the general public, like, we just sit there and say yes to everything. And I said to my mother, I go, you know, and this is why I was doing ways and means. I said, you know, literally, I, I don't know. I don't know the exact ratio, but it's probably 15 to 1. Yes, no to yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, you learn to say no in a lot of nice, pleasant. I always try to say no in a nice, pleasant, but direct way. Right? You know, like. Um, Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Well, like my favorite is I would call people like when the house, when the house passes its budget first, this is a great, Luke Kenley gave me this a bit of advice. He said, Todd, uh, you know, call people and tell them before the budget comes out because then they at least know you're not surprised them so i was making those phone calls and i mean and i would say things like you know but look it's the house budget if you can convince senator mishlers you know you learn to say no in a variety of different ways but it's funner to say yes it's funner to see like positive things but the the my responsibility whether in that position or this is is to say no like you know i mean i i, I say no a lot more than i say yes because one you have finite resources two i have a finite role my viewpoint of role of government and those types of things so like people always want you to come in and say yes and you know for me a lot of times it's i, I gotta be the guy that says no i don't think that's what we as caucus want to do think about whether it's money or an issue or whatever the, the last time you tell us about the last time you changed your mind on something where you were like you know 10 years ago i thought x and now i think one over x because we all go through yeah, it yeah. in in you know the political world. There, there have been a couple. Uh, there have been a lot of things, and I think the greatest thing I love about this position is you get to talk to a whole bunch of smart people, and they challenge your thinking. And if you don't like, if you aren't prepared to have your mind changed, I, I don't think you're doing yourself any intellectual. Uh, you're not being intellectually honest. Like you have to also note all your hypocrisies and all this. But so my favorite, the one that makes me look like the worst, is uh, in 2019. You know, Governor Pence had a big initiative around regional cities, right? And uh, and let's just say I wasn't a super big fan. Um, and uh, and so Governor Pence does all the regional city stuff. And uh, so in 2019, I zeroed out the line item. There was some money left. I zeroed out. We had no regional cities program anymore. Again, great thing about being in this role. Uh, in 2019, I started to kind of visit around the state at different events and stuff like that. And, and in 19... 19- for the session for the session i zero it out right but were you speaker in 19 for the uh, session? This was, no i was that's what i thought ways of means i was mm-hmm. the author of the state budget so uh but beginning in 18 and in 19 i start doing kind of the statewide thing that you have to do in this position and uh, i kind of realized in 19 and 20 i probably was a little bit uh uh you know, quick to judgment on the programs. I went to the three areas of the state that won, Northeast Indiana, North Central Indiana, Southwest Indiana. So, uh, so you know, after doing this and, you know, there were some news articles written about the end of regional cities, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, last, in 2021, we're, and, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, Senator Bray and I are meeting with Governor Holcomb and, and I said, you know, we're talking about the House budget. And I said, you know, I want to let you guys know uh, 
you know, we're allocating dollars that will be used for what is now the Ready program. I said, you know, kind of regional cities 2.0. And I thought Governor Holcomb was, you know, going to drop his coffee all over his lap. And I said, look, I get it. I get it. I get it. But you got to admit when you're wrong. And I would have to admit that I was wrong. And like, and, and we invested a half million dollars this past budget, the 2021 budget. We'll invest another half billion dollars in 2023 budget. Goes into qualities of life, connects, connects communities. And, and, and I think it was a great, like, you know, I try to learn every day. Like, Sometimes I don't like what I learn because, it, you know, it's not it doesn't reinforce what I wanted to believe. But it's important that you learn every day. And that was one where, like, it's a major policy thing where, I mean, I, I did a complete flip-flop, right, from, from you know, being totally against a f- hundred – it was roughly a $138 million package in, in 2015 to being the guy that's, you know, trumping, putting a billion towards it in 2021 and 2023. You know, you mentioned Governor Holcomb a few minutes ago. He and I are almost the exact same age. I'll be 55 actually tomorrow, and he'll be 55, I think, in May. How old are you, sir? 50. And so leads me right to the question of generations. You talked about your dad, your uncle, Mitch Daniels, looking at that generation, Al Hubbard, yeah. you know, and you can name Fred Klipsch. The list goes on and on, right? And so you're the leader of kind of your generation, you and, and, and the governor, right, because you're close in age. What do you think is your responsibility, not only to the people, the Gen Xers like us, but to the people, the younger folks who are just now starting to serve two or three terms in the House and be involved in politics? I've always said, say this all the time, if you want to cure a lot of this hostility that exists between partisans, make them work together more. Amen. Work the polls you know, do things like that where you see each other and you realize they've got a point of view, but they're not necessarily evil. How do you do all that, especially to mentor the younger folks coming up? Well, you just used the word I would talk about. I talked about yesterday with the group is mentoring. Like, I, you know, I was mentored. I, I was mentored by all those people you just mentioned in, in deeply significant ways. Uh, I learned from each of them, Mitch, Tony, Al, uh, everyone in my family. And, and, and I, I could go, I literally said to somebody yesterday, I said, you know, I couldn't even like I've had such an extraordinary amount of people have poured something deep and meaningful in my life I couldn't put in on 50 pages of a book. That's how blessed I am. I have to return that. Like, I have to return that. So how do you mentor people? It begins with relationship, Robert, just as you noted. And, and like, you, I've never met so, – I've never hated somebody I knew. And I always try and remember, like, somebody's got a mom, a dad, a sister, a brother, a husband, a wife, a son or daughter who loves them. So there's some redeeming factor in every single person. It's up to me to go find it, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so, like, you know, I try to model the behaviors I hope. Like, you know, I try to treat my colleagues with deep respect. I try to treat, you know, the, the people in the administration, the people I meet, you know, obviously on our staff. Uh, I think we have a great opportunity in politics to mentor young people. You know, most of our staff is young. Like, I want them to look and say, look, he, he has friends on both sides of the aisle. He cares about people. Like, I think so much of that stuff, I find that the, the where the hostility is is in people that don't actually participate in the process. That's exactly right. And I'm like, come join us. And if you don't get your mind, if you don't get challenged by something every day that make you have to think about somebody else's perspective, then I, I don't want to live that life. I mean, I, now it doesn't mean I'm going to change. I have a very strong core. I'm a very conservative person. I'm not going to sit there and deny that. Or, but, but you know, like I, 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 you know, I, I care passionately about people. 
Um, I said this in my org day speech that, you know, I get frustrated because everybody looks like people come to me and how government is going to solve this problem? How is government going to solve? People solve other people's problems, right? We have to lift each other up. And I'm gonna. I want to lift the person. We're working. Uh, Denise and I have a tremendous young person, new young person in our life that, that well, we've uh, gotten engaged with, who's, who's faced challenges, and I'll never, ever, ever understand. But you know, she was. She's telling me she met Tom McDermott at a rally, mm-hmm. and and she and she's kind of talking about meeting Tom, and 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 she begins to kind of be apologetic. I go, hey, it's okay. You're a Democrat. <laughs> We're still going to love you one way or the other. Like, it's okay. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's well, to, not look that, to that point. And then I want to turn it back over to Jim before you get the final five questions in our remaining minutes with Indiana speaker Todd Houston. Two questions. One, John Gregg really kind of personifies a lot of what you discussed. He came on the podcast with Jim and I. A, have you talked to him much? Did you learn anything? And then B, who has a better Hoosier accent, you or John Gray? <laughs> well, John, I, John, you can at least say where the part of the state John is from. I, I don't know where mine came from. Uh, look, John was one of the very first people after the after uh, it was announced I was going to succeed, uh, Speaker Boston, to reach out to me. We had coffee. He he basically said uh, he reinforced a lot of stuff. What what uh, what Brian and Paul Manweiler and Mike Phillips and all these people said and Pat. Uh, about you know you have an obligation to protect institution, get to know people, uh, and and you know you have a broader responsibility than just being the head of your caucus. You have a, you're the head of the, of the house chamber. And I will tell you, like uh, I'm not sure when I you know I, I well I will, I'm not I definitely say I was not uh, a fully appreciative of that. And and John saying it, Brian saying it was very helpful. But it prepared me. But then, you know, once you get in, it's, it's still different. Well, let me ask a question. And Jim, you would know this, too, as well. So what does that mean? Define protect the institution. You know, for me, it's like, what's decorum like? Uh, what do we do to make sure that there's debate that's respectful to debate, that, that the members have an opportunity one, to have their voice be heard, that they're treated with kindness and respect, that that. uh you know, what happens in that chamber, you know, I just try and remind it, it is weirdly stressful. I won't lie to you to stand up that front of that room because you take on the entire responsibility. You know, if something falls off the rails, like it's going to everybody else, like <laughs> the people involved, it may be like a, a blip in time. You get to pick up the pieces for, for a <laughs> period of time. And uh, uh, so you have like, you know, tremendous uh, you know, you have tremendous responsibility to make sure I was, you know, on a, such an extraordinarily complicated and difficult and very personal subject as as what we went through this summer. I, I couldn't have been more pleased with both the, the, the debate in the by both parties in the House on the debate. And and because it was substantive, it was real, it wasn't personal. And, and, and while some were laid with the outcome, some were very disappointed with the outcome, I felt like we did the institution well, Robert. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing. Like, I look at the decorum that's taking place in, in Washington, D.C., or even what I see in other states, and, and I don't want it to be that way. Like, you know, I want Ed Delaney's voice to be heard. I want Matt Pierce's voice to be heard. I want Cherish Pryor's voice to be heard just as much as I want Matt Lehman and Greg Sturwald and, and, and Wendy McNamara's voice to be heard. I think that's so important because if we once we lose that, 
once we lose that ability, then, you know, that's when I think, you know, I'm not a, I'm not the democracy's unraveling guy. I think if you know history, you know, you go through, un, right. you know, all the, you know, I know you love history. Like I love history, but I do think that's when you get into trouble is when you lose the basic tenets of, of the importance of, of respect for the institution, respect for, for, um, each other, then I think it's, it's awful hard to put that genie back in the bottle. Let me just, for viewers or listeners, help out a little. Over the years, we've seen uh, things done that damage the institution or a lack of of public testimony on issues, Uh, putting, putting uh, proposals uh, out late in the session with no public discussion, uh, limiting floor debate. I mean, they're keeping bills from reaching the floor. Uh, leadership has, has accomplished on occasion. I mean, there, a lot of this is in the eye of the beholder. A hundred percent. Oh, a hundred percent, Jim. Like they're, they're, they're criticism. Like, you know, well, you didn't let a float bill get to the floor. Well, yeah, that's right. You know, uh, there may have been a variety of different reasons on why that bill didn't get the floor. And I respect that. I, you know, uh, and, and I do think that's in the eye of the whole. I do think that there's been a good, strong tradition in this chamber and in both chambers about, uh, uh, you know, there, there are days we have hiccups like everybody else. And I've had mine. Uh, uh, but I, I you know, for me, I just want to make sure that, you know, when whoever succeeds me goes, you know, he may have screwed up a lot of things. But when we get out on the House floor, like things are done in a professional manner. Have you ever said, because this is so not your personality, I'm the speaker and this is how we're doing it? Because eventually someone has to be the president, the governor, the four star general. Yeah, I think probably more than people would expect, but that goes with the responsibilities. I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, you, you you have you have this awesome institution, this wonderful way we're set up. But at the end of the day, you know, ultimately, I was elected by my colleagues to get us to a certain spot, and and I have to lead. You know, I have to make sure I'm leading them to that spot, and I'm going to tell them what I think is the best way to get there. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we and, and, you know, those are I, you know, I can't do it very often. Mm-hmm. I want to respect that, you know, this is not a monarchy. And uh, uh, but there are days where, you know, we'll have conversations and, you know, we will we'll get to to the to an outcome. So how long are you going to do this? I don't know. You know, I, I don't like I said earlier, I just kind of where my where my feet are is what I, I love most of the job in the sense I, I love the people i love both the people in our caucus our staff uh uh the the members on on both chambers and on both parties uh all the different people you get to meet with so like i don't i i'm the worst career planner of all time <laughs> i remember and you saying you weren't going to work for tony i <laughs> never i mean i i mean terrible about this then stuff. you try to recruit me absolutely to go work for tony absolutely and those are the things that like so i i just have never really worried about i always figured god will put me where i can you know where i need to be at that point and i i will say probably part of growing up around this is i don't love like people that ooze ambition because uh, I'm like, be really good at who you are. I don't care what you do in your life. Be really good at what you do. And if there are other, if you do that, other opportunities may work for you, open up for you. But, but like, this is such an awesome job. 
I get a chance to deal with awesome people. I hope I have good things. I, I hopefully I do good things that impact people across our state. Uh, what a blessing it is. And I, I try and remind myself, even on days when it isn't always perfect, what a blessing it is. You said that you've only really been in the Indiana House during the supermajority yeah. days, which I think the first one was 2010. After no, 2012. It was my election in 2012. 2012 yeah. was the first one. Yeah. So let me ask, let me ask Jim Shella. You've covered. Democrat majorities, Republican majorities, ties, and Republican supermajorities. Which did you in the Indiana House? Because the Indiana Senate's been Republican since the ooze. <laughs> Which one did you enjoy? Oh, yeah. ties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want news, the 50-50, I mean, I, that's, you know, when I, when I explain to people uh, what my job entailed at times— Organization Day is always on a Tuesday. Uh, I think uh, it starts about 10 in the morning generally, right? Um, the first 50-50 in, in uh, 88, uh, the House gaveled in at 10 in the morning on Tuesday, and it gaveled out sometime in the morning on Thursday. Uh, it took that long to come up with a, with a, a, a power-sharing agreement. And uh, I got home for a little while. I got a couple of naps uh, in in the middle there, but uh, you got to be here covering it. Yeah. it, it uh, and and then you had battles for two years after that. Yeah. Uh, Did you enjoy covering? Because that's when I really first started being interviewed. And, and by for you. what it's worth, the public understands power battles. They they don't understand all the policy that's matters. Right. That's right. <laughs> right. Did you enjoy covering? Because this is when I first met. Speaker Houston and started being interviewed by you more often than not. The Daniels, Bosma, Bauer triangle in that 2006, sure. 2007, 8. Sure. Um, you know, you, you talked about what happened in 2006. And, and shortly after that, uh, you know, Mitch Daniels held that news conference where he said that the Democrats had car bombed his agenda and then had to turn around and apologize for his choice of words. I, I mean, it, did he apologize? He did. Yeah, he did. Um he may not have been terribly good at selling it, but, <laughs> um, it, but you know that that was a true conflict. Yeah. And and uh, but it was to what to what Todd said earlier. You got to innovate. You got to yeah. be bold. You got to take chances. That sort of thing. And and famously, right. Pat Bauer said to some Mitch Daniels agenda item. I don't remember what it was, but we've never done it that way before. Yeah. Right. I think, you know, I mean, I do think like personalities matter. And I want to be fair to this, you know, between the Governor Daniels and and Pat and, and Brian, you had unique personalities. I mean, Brian is a, a extraordinarily smart and, and, and quick witted guy. And Pat was a, a, you know, a character in and of itself. Right. Of a Super fighter. Just kind of, an old fashioned yeah. Democrat street. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then but lovable great, in his yeah, own way. Right. Right. Great admiration. And and then, you know, Governor Daniels was is is. is brilliant as anybody and, and quick-witted himself. And, like, you had real personalities. And, and like, you know, it's funny because I said this to somebody this morning. Like, I, that is not – I hope I'm not some stiff. But, but like, I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't wake up in the morning. Like, I don't desire – if I'm never on the front page of the newspaper again the rest of my life, I'd be the happiest soul on earth. Like, I, I don't try to make headlines. I try to deliver results, right? And I think, you know, that's – you know, that kind of makes somebody like me boring, right? To the, Now, I, we're, we're kind of good content. We're always 
always good content for the news media because we do things that make uh, things interesting. You know, keep 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 bringing up CRT. Yeah, I mean those types yeah. of things are always going to be. You know, you, you will uh, you have yeah you have those issues, but. But I mean, I do think it, it, you had a case where you know di- different personalities and 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 again, like I always chuckle because like, and I understand why it happens. But right now, the news media loves to find spaces in which you know we are at odds with the administration and the Holcomb administration. Yeah, I and mean, I gotta tell you, like I love Eric Holcomb. Like no apologies, Eric Holcomb is a wonderful person, wonderful guy. We've had a a, a very small number of disagreements, and 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 and. I just respect what he does for the state, his heart, his commitment, and those types of things. So, like, I'm always like, but I understand they need to that's they need to create that story and and they need to find those places where there's differences. Well, because Same thing your with conflict, our with Rod, your conflict, excuse me, Speaker, your conflict with the governor replaces the conflict of Pat Bauer. Yeah, right, and a hundred percent. Right. I mean, they again, I understand it completely why they do it. And there are days like, you know, Governor Holgan and I have joked about this. Like, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, we have a, a great, we always have had a great working relationship. And I have a tremendous amount of admiration for Eric since you and I began to know Eric when he was working for Mitch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's just like kind of funny to see that. And like, to go in, like, I'll have people, you know, oh, even like people in general public will be like, you know, uh, you, you know, their friends might like, what's your relationship with like Governor Holcomb? Was, you know, like, is he a bad guy? I'm like, yeah, Eric Holcomb's like one of the best people on earth you're going to meet. Like, you know, absolutely. no way. He just won by fun. 30 points. Almost. He's, absolutely. You know, the same thing. Like, you know, I mean, uh, so I think people like people want to personalize stuff so much in this world. And, and I think, you know, I try not to, uh, 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 that, that you know, uh, there's a lot more friendships than there are, uh, you know. I, I hope very few enemies. So the Jim Shells of the world, the creators of these problems and frictions. Why no, can't we all get along? No, no, they they need content. Like I always say, this to <laughs> people like they need content. You know, I don't read one thing that people. I I don't. I intentionally. And Aaron knows this. Our press secretary. I don't read anything that has my name in it. I don't look for. I don't watch any news. I because like I know I'm a human being. That that I don't watch the news that involves us. Uh, that I will respond to it. Right. If people are critical of me, I will want to change to adapt to somebody else. I also know if somebody writes something which I'm sure never happens nice about me. You know, I I think how great I would be. And and I think you know for me personally i've always just tried to you know put my trust in those people around i got a great group of friends a great group of family who will tell me i'm a moron when i need to be here i'm a moron or i'm doing something stupid um but i also recognize like you know look i read the stories at the national level about conflict too you know i mean i mm-hmm. they have a job to do i don't begrudge that of them and uh you know they they need to figure out what people are interested in reading tension and conflict are part of the process sure. and, they're, and they're good for it yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that's the thing that, you know, we have disagreements within, you know, obviously within the House or in the Senate and within the administration. That's good. I mean, you know, it, it, if it was if we all thought the same, I'd be scared to see what the world looked like. We have reached the point in the Leaders and Legends podcast where we ask the same five questions of all of our guests. Speaker Houston, are you ready? Yes, sir. What was your first job? I worked at the Carmel Putt-Putt. And, and it was on Carmel Drive. If not for the fact that the Horsefield family sold it, I think I'd still be there. That's the first putt putt job I think that we've encountered. Number two, it followed quickly by Arby's, which was. A, a, and you're two for two yeah, though. Yeah. 
<laughs> what was your first concert? Uh, that you actually paid, bought your own ticket. I, I bought my own ticket. Probably uh, Guns N' Roses in 1991. That's pretty strong. We had several people from overseas. Historians say that was their first podcast. Or, their, excuse me, their first concert. Number three, if you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you choose? Well, I mean, my faith tells me I read the Bible every night. If you could witness any event in history, be there in person as it happens, which event would you choose? I would be there in person. Be there in person. Well, it's Christmas season, the birth of Christ. I was going to say, Sermon on the Mount has been up. Yeah, that would a be a yeah. popular yeah, one. it would be a popular one. Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone living today, living today, two hours off the record, talk about anything you want, whom would you choose? Uh, ironically, I bet you I could do this. But I'm not sure you're telling me. Dan Coates. Can I tell you why? He's a former podcast guest yeah. and absolutely the best of the best. Yeah. Go ahead. One is is that uh, I, I always think, you know, I, I try not to have a small view of the world. I always say you need big worldview guys. Mm-hmm. I think the, the what's going on internationally and, and what's happening in, in the international space right now is beyond fascinating. And, and I couldn't imagine having as much access to information as is as, as, um Director Coates had how fascinating that would be. Director uh, of National Intelligence. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, and obviously Dan's done a hundred other <laughs> important things in his life. Mm-hmm. But you know, I always think I I, I would love uh, you know sit down with somebody like that or a CIA director and just kind of understand what's going on in the world because I think you know somebody pretty. Uh, big reader of of history and and current events and those types of things. I just think that would be he'd have some fun Donald Trump insights. He would have. I would think that would be awesome stories. <laughs> uh, you know, and I almost you know, I mean that that would be uh, uh, <laughs> that that would be worth the uh, price of admission in and of itself, Jim. Well, uh, he came on the podcast and we yeah. talked about his career. Yeah. He's the first political person I ever worked for, hired by Devin Anderson and Bros McVeigh back in 1992. Yeah. He came on the podcast, talked about his life, uh, basically up till the time he decided to run for Senate again in 2010. He let me know last month that he's going to come on again, awesome, well, and talk and talk about the second part that we missed, where he worked in the Trump administration and various other things. You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC. The Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today has been Indiana Speaker of the House, Todd Houston, who I can say, without reservation, has not changed one tiny morsel from when I first met him nearly 16 years ago. He is just as kind, just as dedicated, and just as self-effacing as he was then. Speaker Houston, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Jim Shella, thank you as always for joining us. You make all these discussions so much better. Thank Thank you. you, Great to be here. Great to see you. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Mm-hmm.